Hi and welcome everyone to the I have a dream podcast where host Rajan Navani initiates candid conversations with industry leaders and experts to explore their aspirations for India as we enter a golden period. Rajan is the national chairman of CII's Council on Future Businesses, India at 75 and the Artificial Intelligence Task Force and chairman, managing director and CEO of Jet Synthesis. Today's episode features Eric Falt, director and UNESCO representative to India, where he talks about India's soft power and the challenges and opportunities to look out for in the next 25 years. To find out more, stay tuned. I a very good afternoon to all of you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to this very interesting session on a vision for India at 100. the india of 2047 that is still 25 years away and really want to talk about india's position in the world you know even using our soft power as we continue to progress towards that position of global leadership that many of us truly believe india is best poised to accomplish and you know to to take us through this discussion uh, we have uh, mr eric fault the director and unesco representative to bangladesh bhutan india nepal maldives and sri lanka so as you can see uh, here is somebody who who has an entire perspective on the region and uh, you know how uh, how we as india can shape the future not only for you know our country but the region and and aspirationally for the world uh, of course we are you know sitting at a time when uh, things are challenging around the world you know we we have a lot of geopolitical i would say volatility if i want to use a word or different words around you know the way countries will align and the positions that countries will take given that you know there are certain challenges but i think what what emerges here is a discussion or what we're hoping to emerge is a discussion that will see many of these you know uh, small uh, disruptions in the next 25 years but something that will still keep the hope of of india's aspiration alive and you know it's uh, eric you're the first uh, person uh, you know um, i think who has got a a good regional vision uh, you know uh, but based in india right now looking at looking at india from a different lens and really look forward you know to your engagement as you're aware you know we are celebrating uh, the 75th year of indian independence cii has played a key role in uh, shaping a vision document uh, you know that is now being used extensively by the existing government uh, as a part of its azadi ka amrut mahotsav where we are not only celebrating what india has achieved but also using this as a stepping stone to identify and reflect you know where are the gaps what can we do better how can we accelerate the change of progress so we are at a very opportune time in in that sense uh, and and you know in a setting that is really going to be 2022 and beyond so uh, you know so look forward to a very engaging uh, conversation and again thank you for for being here uh, you know let me let let me just you know start you know with you that you know we're talking of india as a soft power and the soft power influencing you know our our global position right so you know when you look at india right how do you see india you know uh, particularly when it comes to our soft power and and in general you know uh, where where do you see us you know being today and 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 where can we go from here on in the future 
Thank you. Well, first and foremost, I really want to uh, thank the uh, India at uh, 75 Foundation and uh, the Confederation of uh, Indian Industries, in particular you, Rajan, for the for the kind uh, invitation. Uh, to answer your question, well, uh, I think uh, India's international image and, and position uh, has in part always depended on its uh, soft power. Uh, it was always, uh, India was always an example uh, for the world of how a, a liberal democracy can be founded on, on the principles of uh, uh, nonviolence and uh, respect for the diversity of its uh, different cultures. And uh, when you talk about that, and when you talk about soft power in India, one immediately thinks about Gandhi. And, and perhaps here I have to talk about my own experience and, and tell you how from a, a very young age in, in, in my school books or uh, in the books my parents told me to read, uh, Gandhi was a central uh, influence. Sometimes I don't know if the younger generations of Indians uh, uh, realize, but uh, Gandhi around the world is this extraordinary uh, influence. Uh, for me, again, when I was, uh, you know, six, seven years old, uh, I was told to look up to Gandhi. I was told to look up also to Martin Luther King and later uh, Nelson Mandela. But that's it. These, uh, aside from the historical figures that I, also, I was also told to, to follow from my own country, I come from, from France, these were and remain uh, the central figures. Gandhi is very important and defines in many ways the soft power of India. And this is something that, in my view at least, should not change and be cherished in a, cherished in a thousand ways. Uh, when uh, uh, I think a foreigner thinks about uh, uh, India, he or, or she also thinks about uh, its multiple languages, uh, its rich uh, literature, its culture, uh, its cuisine, of course. Uh, and, and, and India has, as I said, always had considerable soft power resources to, to use to uh, uh, enhance its, uh, its global image. So what I want to say here, and I, I, I probably will want to repeat it uh, in a variety of ways, is that the world wants more of India. And when I say that, it's more of India's uh, soft, uh, soft power, indeed. And, and to answer your question fully, uh, I know that in 2047, uh, when India reaches uh, 100, it will be a momentous occasion for all uh, Indians because it will signify 100 years of, of uh, freedom and, and independence from uh, colonial rule. But it will also be celebrating 100 years of the country running, as I said at the beginning, as a, a vibrant pluralist democracy. And this is an example for the world. And I really hope that uh, this image will continue to dominate the image of Gandhi in the background and the image of India uh, as a uh, pluralist uh, democracy. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, India is going to uh, continue to play uh, an important role. And I hope an increasingly uh, important role um, to foster peace, because, yes, uh, we also uh, from abroad often associate India's soft power with the notion of peace, again, because of Gandhi. And this must be true at the global, uh, regional, sub-regional and local scale. Uh, and uh, I, I look at it in a, in a sort of a holistic fashion, but obviously because of my uh, current uh, mandate as the director of UNESCO, I, I look at it also from the perspective of what India can do in education, the sciences, and culture, which are uh, central to, to, to UNESCO's uh, 
mandate. But I am certain that in the next uh, uh, 25 years, uh, uh, India is going to play uh, an even bigger role uh, within uh, global uh, uh, politics in general. But I'm sure you you want to we want to touch uh, upon that uh, later in our conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring about Gandhi, right? Because I think if we you know we do a survey globally, probably that's one icon from India that stands out. And and I think the impact that Gandhi has had, or the influence that he has had in in people making choices. So Eric, would be interesting to know the fact that you're sitting in New Delhi today. Did did those early days, uh, you know, of of Gandhi and and others really in some way have an influence on you on the choices you made in your career, where you are, or you've just landed up here? Tell us a little more about your journey. You know, getting to UNESCO and you know your life beginning in France, as you rightly said, which also has great soft power when it comes to so many aspects, right? We still, you know, talk of French food and French wine and the impact <laughs> that has around the world, right? Yeah. So 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 share a little more about your own personal journey. Right. Well, I, I, I don't represent France. I represent the, the UN, but I am from France. So, of course, this has been uh, a defining uh, influence in, in my whole life. Uh, but I've now lived in uh, eight different countries uh, from between two years to, to five years, visited uh, uh, 99 around the world, I think, throughout my 30-year uh, UN UN career, and uh, well, I, yes, I was probably very much influenced in the choice in the choices that I made uh, as a as a person, as a human being, as a man, and and, and professionally uh, by these uh, early years. I, I began my career very for a few years with uh, the French Foreign Service, but I switched to the UN very quickly uh, before I, I turned uh, 30, simply because I thought I could uh, better serve. Uh, with the UN than just with the country I happen to have been born in. So that's when I, I joined the UN to become um, uh, the spokesperson of the then largest peacekeeping operation uh, in Cambodia. That's actually the first time I started to uh, work also uh, with uh, Indians. Uh, we had uh, a very large contingent of uh, Indian peacekeepers, and I'm very happy to see that India has continued this uh, practice, which started back in the early 1990s. It's a very important part. I don't know if it's a soft power or, or other, but uh, it's a it's a very important role that India is playing by being so active in peacekeeping operations around the world. I moved on after Cambodia to Haiti, where I again worked with uh, uh, Indian uh, peacekeepers and also Indian civil servants who had been deputed to work with the peacekeeping uh, operation to make it short, uh, from there, I, I, I worked uh, in uh, Iraq for the UN and in Pakistan. I was based in Nairobi for five years with the UN Environment Program, uh, then in New York, and then I joined UNESCO. So I've had a sort of a varied uh, career, but uh, India was always there one way or the other. Actually, I probably should have started with my youth because one of the uh, entry points for me to dream about India was uh, one of my uncles. Uh, my father's sister was married to a Kenyan Indian, uh, Indian Kenyan, who, who uh, and he always talked about India, where he returned uh, fairly, uh, fairly frequently. So that that has been sort of a, uh, in many ways, a, a thread uh, in uh, in in my life and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's very important to to underline that aspect, perhaps in answer to your question. Yeah, no, I think you know having this diversity and this this exposure, and you know actually being involved in those countries far deeper. You know, thinking through how change can be brought about. You know, on the ground using multilateral kind of you know networks uh, is is indeed uh, you know a thing that has 
helped shape the world, you know, to a large extent to where we are. But looking forward by maybe looking back, you know, if one were to to look at that, right? I mean, I think, you know, where we are today, if we were to talk about our current situation, you know, in the world and and, and really, you know, what do you think are, are some of the, you know, of course, there are so many great things that have happened, but some learnings, you know, that you think from a geopolitical aspect, from from the way we look at policy, uh, and and really, how do we leverage some of that learnings or knowledge as we move forward? You know, um, as as a as a more united world that's going to take on many challenges that we face as a human race. You know, rather than looking at challenges amongst each other. Uh, it's uh, interesting that that you you ask uh, uh, this. Uh, I mean, I've been exactly, by the way. Four years uh, here. I arrived on uh, the twenty fifth of May uh, to take up my position four years ago, and and I've I've uh, tried. I've had a chance to reflect uh, uh, a little bit uh, uh, on uh, you know on India itself to learn. I I mean after four years I know a little bit, but I also know that I will never know very very much. But uh, I do see uh, for India a number of uh, challenges and of course a number of uh, opportunities. The first challenge and opportunity is related to youth. Uh, it's uh, become already a cliche now that uh, uh, India has the largest uh, youth population in the world. It has overtaken China. That's great. It is definitely an opportunity, but it's also a very, very big uh, challenge. And I think that's where uh, a lot of thought needs to go into this particular aspect. And I know, of course, the prime minister and the entire government uh, reflect upon that very, very uh, often. Uh, I think uh, there's a need to think about uh, access to uh, education, which is one of the areas where UNESCO uh, is active, both public and private, by the way. But India has a has a young population uh, that is clearly demanding uh, more and more and demanding better in terms of uh, education, but also healthcare, infrastructure, availability of, of ICT and, and, and much more. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's clearly a, a, a young population that needs to be given the right tools and the right skills. They will actively uh, uh, shape uh, the direction of, of the whole world, not just India, but the, the whole world. So that's uh, perhaps the first point that I, I, I thought of uh, making with, uh, with you today. The other point, uh, and it's also very dear to the agenda of uh, UNESCO and many other UN agencies, is related to uh, gender issues. Uh, uh, there have been uh, many advancements uh, in the last few decades in, in, in harnessing the, the potential of uh, uh, Indian women uh, and bringing equality. Uh, there's been a lot of initiatives of, of the government uh, aimed at achieving uh, gender equality in all fields. And these are all very significant steps in the, in the right uh, uh, direction. We see, by the way, we just had a recently um, uh, a report that I can actually show you that we issued uh, which we called a, a braided river, which focuses on the universe of uh, Indian women in, in science. We see that girls uh, are, are even today outperforming boys at uh, science, technology, uh, education and management. We know also that there's still a lot of challenges. That's uh, some of what this publication and other publications that we, we focused on and studies uh, uh, show. But gender is uh, and remains a, a very important uh, uh, area of, of work and where we need to continue the progress uh, that has been made. Uh, but um, in looking at the bigger picture, when I think about uh, India in, uh, in, uh, in 2047, well, as I said, uh, the world wants more of India. There's a hunger for India uh, around the world because 
Well, we need uh, credible alternatives to the large powers that currently uh, perhaps dominate uh, the, the international uh, scene. So uh, in this regard, my, my dream and that of many others is that India will play a greater role in, in, in global affairs in every area. Uh, there's always a lot of talk about, uh, and it's natural, about the importance and, and or, or lack of uh, enough importance of India in this, on the Security Council of the United Nations. That's, uh, of course, an issue, and I hope that it will be uh, resolved in the, the best uh, interest of, uh, of all concerned. But uh, we want more of India within the UN when, and uh, around the world. Imagine, for instance, that we don't, unless I'm wrong, have one uh, Indian uh, heading one of the uh, UN agencies uh, at present. There, of course, I have very senior colleagues in the United Nations, but uh, uh, there has never been an, an uh, Indian uh, uh, heading uh, the UN Secretariat, uh, uh, UNESCO, or any, at present, any of the uh, of our large UN agencies. I really think that this is an area where the country should invest. You have some of the best and brightest minds anywhere, some of the most politically savvy, some of the most charismatic people I have seen anywhere around the planet. And I wonder how it's even possible that we don't have more of India uh, in uh, in the UN. So that's something that is definitely possible. And I know the world wants more of India. So this is... Uh, this is very important. I could perhaps also discuss uh, the need for leadership of India in some of the challenges that will exist even more than today in 2047. Here I'm alluding to uh, environmental issues, uh, climate change. I think that uh, there's been uh, a lot of commitments uh, uh, and uh, India, for instance, has committed to net zero emissions by 2070, if I'm not mistaken. That's very far away. And I think that in this area, uh, uh, India is headed also in the right direction, but we need much, much more because uh, if India speaks on these issues, as in all other issues, the world will listen more and more. I love your optimism on India and, you know, the way India can actually understand its own power. You know, many times you say the elephant needs to realize its own power, you know, uh, and, and I think I think that's beginning to happen, you know, in different shapes and form. And I you know, you talked about the, the human capacity of Indians, right? Whether it's the youth or, you know, gender, we talk of women, you know, or as you talked of leadership, right? It's, it's interesting, you know, Eric, because, you know, when we talk of youth, of course, I, I think everybody understands uh, the role that Indian youth will play globally as we take on larger roles and, you know, uh, participate in a global world that's going to have a larger aging population. You know, especially when we look at the West and we look at Japan, you know, my, my question is really what can be a great productive way for India to reap this demographic dividend? Right. That's that's one one part of the question. You talk to women. Right. I think India, you know, uh, when when Indians really pray for, you know, either power, uh, knowledge or uh, wealth, you know, you pray to Durga, Saraswati and Lakshmi. Right. I think you're you're trained, you know, to seek you know, power from from women when it comes to, you know, in a in a in a manner that is is influenced very early on. But at the same time, when we talk of equality and we talk of young people coming into the workforce, you know, we have a, a differentiated kind of an you know uh, approach when it comes to gender. Of course, things are again rapidly changing. You know, and you talked of leadership, right? I think that capacity uh, not only in UN, but we see that across businesses. We see, especially in the tech world, we see it at the you know in, in in political power around the world. 
So, you know, you've interacted with, with Indians, both in India and globally, right? And across all of these segments. So tell us a little bit about your experiences, you know, with, say, the diaspora there in India. And how can we really make all these three things really happen in a shorter time frame, right? While we will have a 2047 goalpost, you know, what could be some things we could do, say, in the next six to nine months to make that happen? Mm, six to nine months is a very short period. I'm making you put on a, a short-term vision. At least what could be directional, you know, kind of inputs or directional changes that we can make that can accelerate some of these things? Well, I, I just alluded to uh, a minute ago to uh, environmental issues. And I, I think that definitely in the next uh, uh, six months uh, to a year, uh, I would love to see even more uh, initiatives when it comes to to the environment. Uh, the Prime Minister started a, a very uh, strong uh, and uh, a very effective campaign when it comes to uh, uh, cleaning uh, India. Uh, but uh, I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, you know, I have traveled around the country uh, and I really would love to see, uh, you know, a quicker implementation of the ban on uh, plastics uh, in India. This is one of the main simple uh, but main environmental issues. Uh, and I think in, in general, sometimes I, I regret uh, seeing the landscape, to, landscape uh, marred by pollution uh, and other issues, which uh, with, I know with the sheer determination of uh, the prime minister uh, could be uh, vanquished in a very short uh, period of time. So issues related to pollution are very important. Uh, and uh, it relates to the pollution in many areas, uh, uh, waste, but also the pollution of the air. I think it's a big issue. It's a difficult issue, uh, but it needs to be tackled. Uh, to be honest with you, I have uh, a lot of trouble bringing uh, colleagues uh, here at this point in time, especially uh, colleagues uh, with families uh, coming to uh, New Delhi uh, represents a, a challenge for for uh, many of them. So, uh, And I think a lot of this could be, if you're asking for solutions or issues that can be tackled in six months to a year, uh, I think uh, some, of, some of that could be done. I know that the people uh, would follow if there was the appropriate uh, appeals uh, related to, to pollution. Again, I'm, I'm very, and I don't want to be seen as critical, I'm very admirative that has been done. For instance, uh, the creation of, what is it, 100 million uh, uh, toilets around the country in, in, in no time. If that was possible, a lot more is possible in, in, in very little time. And uh, I think uh, uh, in that area too, India can. That's, that's the main uh, message that I have. India can. And uh, all, all, all in all, probably we have here to look at um, the 2030 agenda for development because it was uh, uh, the agenda that was uh, agreed upon by uh, all countries of the world. Uh, it's the first time ever in the history of humanity that uh, all the governments, all the countries of the world came together to set uh, 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 17 common goals uh, that you know are, are referred to as the Sustainable Development Goals uh, in pursuit of a more uh, ideal uh, world. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, I think, a, a, a roadmap that we need to uh, follow more energetically than ever. We only have eight years until uh, 2030. A lot of the goals are tracked internationally. Uh, and uh, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has not at all helped in, in, in this regard. But uh, um, you know, the, we're not living in an ideal world, but uh, an ideal world is a far-fetched idea. But uh, I think it's it's possible uh, if 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 we work together, and and India definitely can help 
provide a lot of the leadership needed, the quote unquote traditional leadership that we have seen when it comes to big ideas has changed, is shifting. Uh, we need alternatives. We need a different way of thinking, a more spiritual way of thinking, probably. And that's exactly what India's soft power is all about. And that's exactly what I'm saying when I'm saying that we, the world needs more of, of uh, India. Yeah, you know, you talk of spirituality, you talk of yoga, you talk of, you know, concepts like this, that India has really been able to, you know, take out to the world. So if we were to look at, you know, an even sustainable development, respect for nature, environment, you know, Eric is somewhere ingrained, right? In if you go back to the culture of India, you know, you you go back to some of the the, the readings and etc. that has influenced this culture over over several centuries. You know, one sees that these are all ingrained. How can India use this in shaping its foreign policy, right? I mean, you just talked about a moral fabric. You talk about, you know, uh, ideal uh, ways to mainstream sustainability, right? India being a voice that can influence others, right? What, what can be some concrete actions? Because I'm sure as UNESCO, you know, and at the United Nations, you're able to, to identify, you know, a very clear, actionable steps that you think you know, not only governments, but even citizens of the country can take because, you know, an India of 100 is not going to be realized by a few people thinking of what India will be. You know, it it it, it actually ties and binds the aspirations of, of every single stakeholder, you know. So, so how does that, how do you see that, you know, shaping up in terms of concrete action? Well, here uh, again, I think India's uh, biggest asset uh, is its youth. India is very well poised to 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 becoming an even more influential player within the global uh, uh, arena and and work with its uh, youth in this uh, in this regard and 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 here the first challenge is a challenge of education and I know that the government uh, has very much that in mind uh, uh, the adoption of the national education uh, policy was a, a major uh, landmark a, a, a couple of years ago it's very important to put in place the institutional and, and policy changes required for uh, India to to reap its demogra- demographic dividend and that starts with with uh, education the younger population and equally boys and girls must be must continue to be uh, better educated have access to to better healthcare and and possess all the the necessary uh, skills to to face the multiple challenges of of, of the coming uh, years. So to have a universal access to quality quality education is really one of the is really the starting point. Uh, again, the national education policy was a very very uh, important step, but much more needs to be done. Probably uh, at at uh, greater speed. India can can help otherwise uh, the world in making sure that it's it, it shares uh, its set of values uh, with the world. You mentioned uh, yoga, which uh, by the way is now being uh, declared by UNESCO. Uh, we have an International Day of Yoga thanks to UNESCO. It has been uh, inscribed on the UNESCO representative list of the intangible cultural heritage of, of humanity. That's just one uh, uh, element, but. All of these values of, of tolerance, of nonviolence, of respecting diversity, which um, represent India to the rest of the world, uh, I think are one of the, its most important assets. They must be adhered to and upheld uh, uh, by and for future uh, generations. I mean, these are not just a, 
uh, Indian values. These are values that you share with the world and that you can show uh, how they are practiced uh, in, in India. So it, uh, these are values that have been successfully exported to, to the rest of the, of the globe. And I really hope that uh, these values will continue to be uh, at the core uh, of, of uh, India's uh, soft power and uh, progress. No, I, I think you raised so many important you know, areas and things that we can focus on, right? And, and you know, as the India at 75 Foundation, Eric, you know, we are deeply committed along with CII, you know, industry-led, multi-stakeholder platform, you know, to do more, to accelerate progress in many of the areas that you said. So would love to see how UNESCO, CII, India at 75 Foundation can collaborate more, you know, uh, especially when it comes to building that aspirational blueprint for India at 100. You know, uh, can that be um, a, a little shared vision, uh, you know, and, and I don't know how what shape and form that will take. But, you know, can we can we probably bring about a UNESCO understanding of India, the, the India at 75 and, you know, create an aspirational blueprint that brings together, you know, a lot of the inputs that you said and, and around that, you know, uh, put some actionable agendas because you did say 2070 is too far for a, you know, carbon. So how do we accelerate? You know, I think one of the the good parts about these exercises, what we are doing, you know, setting a vision, it's really about being able to accelerate, you know, from a position uh, where maybe the resources are still not, you know, fully available, but the aspiration is very high. And, and I think the only way to do that is is to innovate constantly, right? And, and I think we live in a world which is, you know, uh, disruptive, which has innovation at its core. Maybe, you know, India at 75 needs to work a little stronger with, with you and UNESCO to see how we can accelerate some of these changes innovative. I mean, uh, I have to, to be, we have to be realistic and the contribution of UNESCO itself uh, can only be very uh, modest, but uh, we're always very happy to uh, contribute, uh, make suggestions uh, uh, along, along the way. Uh, and uh, uh, if uh, it helps, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, good. One, one of the areas that we have not talked about and I really want to talk about is uh, also the, the power and influence of uh, India's uh, creative economy. Uh, because we have worked with the private sector and CII in a variety of ways. And when it comes to soft power, I really think that India needs to uh, more fully harness its uh, creative economy or, or cultural industries uh, potential, uh, along with, of course, the industrial potential. Uh, and we see uh, many, many uh, opportunities. Of course, what we call the tangible cultural heritage and the, the many uh, monuments of India are are very much an area where we work very closely with the Ministry of uh, Culture. Uh, for instance, everybody knows and is uh, happy to celebrate the UNESCO World Heritage Sites of India. But what I have become a, a, a bigger fan of, uh, in a way, is what we call the intangible cultural heritage of India. I say very often that India is sitting on a gold mine that it is not exploiting properly. And that relates to its intangible cultural heritage. Uh, this is, for instance, a, a small brochure where we uh, explain the potential of intangible India. By intangible cultural heritage, as you would see in this brochure, uh, we refer, as per a UNESCO convention, to a number of things. Oral traditions, performing arts, dance, music, theater, also social practices, rituals and festivals, and, of course, traditional uh, craftsmanship. 
India offers more than any other country in the world. And what is very important, perhaps, for some of uh, your uh, stakeholders to, to realize, and that we know uh, at UNESCO, is that many of uh, these practices are disappearing very, very, very fast. In 20 years, if nothing is done, uh, we will have lost a lot of these intangible cultural heritage practices, which are at the core of uh, Indian culture, Indian values. That's one of the areas where we focused a lot of our efforts uh, together uh, with uh, the Ministry of uh, Culture and uh, other stakeholders. Uh, we're working very closely with a number of state governments also. We're working closely with the government of Rajasthan, which is actually uh, providing us with funds to help them identify uh, areas and practices in Western Rajasthan which are uh, underexploited. I don't like to use that word perhaps, but still, we're working very closely with the government of West Bengal. We have done so for a number of, uh, of years to also help them uh, identify and promote intangible cultural practices, especially in rural areas. And I really think that's a big part of the future of India. There are out there thousands of such practices uh, which are very uh, meaningful, for, as I said, for the to, to retain the soul of India, but also to keep young, rural, especially young uh, women also anchored uh, in uh, rural communities and continue to live there uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. So uh, this is really one of the areas that I want to mention today, because um, whether we are talking about art, dance, music, film, that everybody knows, uh, the visual arts and, and, and the whole cultural heritage sector, they have a potential for the economy of India that is largely untapped. And this is something that I really think that, well, it stands at the core of UNESCO's mandate. Uh, and uh, I really think that uh, there can be a lot more uh, entrepreneurship related uh, to the preservation of this uh, these intangible cultural uh, heritage, and it needs to be uh, uh, expanded. We have started to work with the private sector. Um, um, uh, perhaps some of uh, the people who are with us today know the partnership that we announced uh, recently with IHCL, uh, Indian Hotels Company Limited, the parent company of a Taj group of hotels and others, whereby... Uh, now, with every uh, whenever you go to a Taj hotel in India, you're also offered an opportunity not just to visit a, a UNESCO-related uh, monument, but also to go visit a community and see how they live uh, so that uh, these practices can be uh, better preserved. That is also part of uh, India's incredible soft power. Uh, and I really want to uh, invite uh, you and others to be uh, more interested in this particular aspect. Uh, there are there can be many more uh, uh, businesses that can uh, be related to this, not just craftsmanship. I've tried to you know explain in just a couple of minutes. We would need more time, but uh, uh, the creative economy of India should be a bigger part of the investment uh, made by the country over the next uh, uh, ten to twenty years. And well, you were asking for quick uh, solutions. It needs to start now. Uh, I'm discussing uh, right now. Uh, a possibility with the Ministry of Minority Affairs, uh, together with the uh, Ministry of Culture, the Ministry of Tourism, and other ministries, the opportunity to, uh, if we if we can get all the right approvals, create uh, uh, creative hubs all over the country in every single state uh, of India. And yes, I believe that this is how also uh, we can uh, make a difference by preserving the past and planning for the future generations. No, I, I think this is truly that big idea, you know, I think that has come out of our conversation today. And I was, you know, to come to that. But, you know, I think this creative economy, 
and the power of our youth and and everyone else to be able to unlock that is is so key. And you know, uh, Eric, you know, because we are in in different sets of businesses, but in one of the areas which is around gaming and esports and you know the metaverse, uh, you know, we are just seeing that the need for talent that's going to be needed globally, right? I mean, India will be able to shape the global narrative in creative economies in addition to all the areas that you talked of you know art and handicrafts and dance and culture and so many others but also in new areas which are going to emerge i think as as new levers of 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 creative engagement by you know many people around the world so i i fully fully agree that that's probably one of the the biggest areas that you know india will need to focus on as we move you know to uh, to 2047 you know we have uh, about 5 minutes left our time has traveled fast but you know one of the the topics you know for for today is i have a dream right i mean this whole fireside chat is about us you and us being able to dream together you know of a world you know of a particular type so you know when 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 you wake up in the morning you know and and if you had had a dream for a world right and and of course india has its role to play in that you know a world that you want to leave for your next gen uh you know uh, which you believe will will have what it takes for us to have as a human what do you see i i think that uh, there is no doubt that uh, the world is going to you know we're going to continue to have more people on this on this planet for the foreseeable future until it plateaus uh so it's more important than ever that we have sustainable development or perhaps to use another expression smart development uh, smart development is really essential for Uh, any growing uh, economy uh, and it's important now so sustainability must be taken as a as a key priority across uh, uh, all countries uh, in india of course but everywhere or else the consequences are going to be very very severe i'm in new delhi uh, today uh, but i'm uh, uh, interacting with a lot of people around the world and uh, uh, definitely many people uh, i speak to especially the younger generations Uh, are aware of uh, the negative impacts that what we have of everything we have done so far they're aware of uh, uh, the 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 uh, climate change uh, issue we've just gone through an incredibly hot spell here in new delhi but it's also we've had uh, other uh, weather events uh, around the world which uh, have shown whether it is irregular weather patterns crop failures Uh, that we are on the brink of a major planetary crisis so we need this smart development more than ever i don't like to talk too negatively because you know being negative about the future never generates uh, um, uh solutions uh the, the so but it is important to emphasize the need for smart development there is hope uh and that hope lies in, in sustainable development at all levels it needs to start with the local and grow to the regional the national and the 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 international uh, at unesco we're we're trying to uh, promote uh, uh, positive uh, solutions uh, recently uh, for instance since i'm 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 talking about climate change and environmental issues uh, we started a a little bit of a, a national offensive if you want to call this to talk about how sustainable development is possible how we can live in harmony with uh, nature uh, one of the solutions that uh, we have uh, relates to the unesco biosphere reserves maybe you're not uh, familiar with the concept of biosphere reserves but uh, uh, we are calling them pockets of hope 
There are uh, large portions of land in India and elsewhere uh, where humans can live in, in harmony with uh, nature. Uh, India at present has 12 such biosphere uh, reserves uh, throughout the country, uh, and they're important to teach us how uh, the people nature complex can be uh, uh, handled. Uh, and uh, this is all part uh, of, of the smart development that I'm uh, alluding to. We need to make sure as part of the smart development that uh, um, upcoming uh, uh, tools like artificial intelligence do lead to smart development, not to negative uh, results. Uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, there is hope. Uh, this needs to be uh, nurtured uh, appropriately at the highest level uh, and with the involvement uh, of all we have seen in the last two years, COVID has shown us how fragile uh, life on the planet uh, is, human life first and foremost. We have also seen uh, how we can tackle these challenges rather quickly if we come together. And India played a major role. Uh, how technology can uh, help uh, solve uh, situations like uh, COVID, but how technology and smart development in general can provide better education can provide uh, appropriate uh, information and appropriate uh, solutions for a better future. We really need to turn a corner. Um, I don't know if you have uh, children. I do. And 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 uh, some of them are telling me that, oh, dad, we, you really didn't leave us in a in a very pleasant uh, situation. And we need to give give all this young generation much more hope, equally for boys and for girls. That's uh, 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 the, the key to, to, to uh, the future. And uh, there again, uh, I think India holds the key to a lot uh, of the solutions of the entire world tomorrow. And uh, yes, India can. Tell me about it, Eric. My two girls, you know, they, <laughs> I have two daughters and, and they constantly remind me of my role in helping shape not only their future, but what will you know, be the, the, the future of Earth. And I think the next generation, right, building responsibility in them, encouraging them to adapt and adopt a lot of the things that you've just said is going to be a key aspect for, for this generation to continue to drive over the next, you know, 25 years. I know we've run out of time and we have a few questions, but this we can just take one question that, you know, is, has been put up here. Uh, really, what's the most common subject of concern in reference uh, in the context of culture for all the countries that you, you know, you represent, right? Is there, how do you see the region and the countries that you represent uh, in the context of culture? Uh, that's a very broad uh, question. I think um, uh, being able to give the, the appropriate resources to preserving a cultural asset uh, is very uh, important and it should not be viewed as a burden. Uh, India uh, offers uh, tens of thousands of monuments which need to be preserved for that uh, appropriate funding needs to go to these to the preservation of these monuments it's not a burden it's an investment uh, same thing for intangible cultural heritage uh, i think uh, uh, all of these wonderful uh, aspects of indian cultures culture need to be uh, uh, better uh, preserved so uh, not enough investment has gone uh, into uh, all of this uh, at all levels. Uh, the private sector uh, can make a, a contribution. Uh, we know that uh, uh, the private sector uh, was uh, tapped uh, to support, for instance, uh, UNESCO World Heritage Sites and other monuments. Uh, and indeed, uh, this is an issue of uh, 
uh, of concern uh, for 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 us. Uh, but um, it can be uh, it can be solved uh, if uh, uh, if we do it together. When I say do it together, I'm talking about the government, the private sector, and civil society. The world has changed in my 30 years in the UN. I've seen the world change enormously for the better. Uh, 30 years ago at the UN, we were not working with the private sector. We were barely starting to work with civil society. And all this has changed. We all know we have to work hand in hand with one another and uh, pool our uh, resources, our energies, our passions, if we want indeed to have the transformative changes that we we, we need to have. I think that's... Uh, that's uh, very uh, important. That's definitely one of one of the lessons, and it's true in the world of culture, as in everything else that we have discussed today. No, so true, and I think it's the future that we talk about will only be as good or as bad as what we do collectively. You know, and and what you rightly said, engaging multiple stakeholders just enables you know that whatever world we create, whatever India we create, will will touch upon the lives of everyone. And I think inclusivity. You know, is 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 something that that is such a core point in the world today. As we as we as we you know move forward, it's been you know such a enriching and enlightening chat with you. Uh, you know, Eric, and I know we can we can keep going on and on. And but you know, really look forward to to working closer with you as you know, India Center Foundation as CII, and really seeing how we can together you know uh, shape not only the future of India but collectively you know a large part you know of the future of the world and and it's rare that we get an ambassador of india like yourself you know who is so hopeful and so excited about you know what this potential holds so once again thank you so much for your time and thank, thank you, you. For, thank for, you for having me this was eric falt director and unesco representative to india in an interesting conversation with host Rajan Navani, where he shared his vision for India at 100. Thank you all for tuning into the I Have a Dream podcast. Stay tuned for more conversations where we explore what India has overcome and what India can do to become a strong leader as we enter a golden period.